0: Welcome to the Weekend Wild Podcast.
1: I'm Pat. And I'm Jim. And we're two working class dudes who only got two days to get her done. We talk about a lot of fishing, especially muskie. Northern. Walleye. And in the fall, we love bow updates. So we've got all your bow tips and tricks. So we also talk about conservation, news articles. Cooking. A little bit of lifestyle. And a little bit of a pain. We only have two days to get it done. So come on, tune in and get Weekend Wild. Well, I'm ready to kick this off if you are. you yeah. You good to go? I got to start off with a little bit of bad news. Pat knows where I'm going with this, but I told him I got to I gotta say something. So we were talking last week. Uh, so you rec- we recorded this last Thursday, you know, and uh, I, as Pat was leaving, I said, make sure you pet the dog. Make sure you pet the dog. I don't know how much time he's got left, you know, and so I had all these plans to go fishing over the weekend and uh, we were supposed to go to Dan's wedding Friday night. Well, I, so I switched to days and, uh about nine fifty in the morning i get a text hey you gotta come here leo's not gonna make it and i'm like oh my god you know and uh leo's my little dog and so i had to hurry up i was on day shift switch from night so i'm already a little overtired and i get to the vet and the vet showed us this tumor that grew and rearranged everything inside him and we had to put him down well that was like devastating for us so yeah the uh the weekend was kind of shot, and luckily that we had that major low pressure system move through. So it, it, it would, the fishing would have been terrible. It was crazy wind, crazy rain for a couple of days, you know. And so it was. If, if anything, it was a good weekend to take off. But um, yeah, so for I, there's there's a lot of people that listen that have met the dog and know the dog. But like, so this started in like June. Um, the la- we were in Vermilion, actually last week of yeah. June. Cal texts me and says, "Hey, he's got a little lump on his butt." And we're like, oh, okay. So we were monitoring it. And you saw how big that blew up, right? You got a good look at that? Oh, yeah. And uh, so we monitored it, monitored it. It turns out it was like a cancerous tumor. And we paid a lot of money to have it cut off. And granted, this is like, so this is the end of June. Uh, So it kind of like consumed our summer. So we paid a lot of money, we have not paid off. The guy says, This could buy him a couple more years and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, let's just do it. It's just money. You know, he's our he's our little baby. Let's just do it, you know? And uh two weeks later, on August fourth, he died at ten forty five in my arms, you know? Yeah. So that was uh that kinda that kinda set the pace for the weekend. But yeah, that's uh for anybody that ever put a dog down, I don't know if everybody gets it, but I have this horrible guilt. The doctor literally gave me two options and said, um, I can drug him up, and you can take him home, and you can get him a couple more days. And he says, "I can't guarantee he's going to make it till Monday." This tumor grew so big and so fast that it might just continue going on that rate and cause him a horrible death at home. And there's nowhere to take him in the weekend, you know. I mean, except for like emergency things if you can get him in there, kind of thing. Yeah. So we opted to put him down, and that decision is going to haunt me the rest of my life to put the dog down. No, it really it shouldn't.
0: It- Totally should. I know either. everyone
1: like the way I look at it. Everyone's like, "Oh, he was suffering, and you did the right thing." And it's like, "Yeah, but the difference between dogs and people is a person knows what's going on with them. A dog, I didn't give him the cho- the ch- the choice, obviously, and but I could have bought him a couple more days, and I didn't. And that's the thing that really, really, really hits heavy, in that part. And then now he's gone. But I'll tell you what, the thing that like I was just telling Pat, the thing that finally gave me closure is I picked up his ashes yesterday. And uh, he's sitting on a mantle, And so it's it, it was just like a version of closure, you know? Yeah. But I told Kelly, I said he went from the good dog of Leo to the legend of the best dog of Leo, you know? <laughs> but he had, he had uh, even like Mike, I was talking to Mike about it. And Mike's like, yeah, that dog had just a, he was just a little different than all dogs with his personality. He's like, he felt like one of the guys you can invite out with for a have a beer with, you yeah. know? He chose his walks every day. And uh, yeah, so he lived to be... 10 years and exactly four months. He was born April 4th. He died August 4th, 1045 in the morning. So that kind of, that, that killed the weekend and well into the week. We're not really, I'm, I'm starting to get past like the really painful part, you know? Yeah. But, uh, that's how, that's how my week kind of went. And so that's why I don't have any like real fishing stories to tell you from last weekend. This weekend I do have plans to go out. I got a lot of daddy duties this week and, uh, yeah. So I didn't, I just kind of killed the weekend, but that was, so I'm, I mean, I'm, in my mid thirties, that was my first dog, you know, and everyone's, you could tell people that have had dogs their whole life. are just kind of like, why is this guy so upset about losing this dog? Everyone tells you it's, t- it's hard, but it's like, it's like,
0: so quick disclaimer, we did not have dogs growing up because, uh, our dad has a condition.
1: Yeah. We never had dogs before and we never really had animals before and stuff like that. So this was a kind of the first baby. The other thing too, was he was there for every big moment. When we got him, it was Cal's graduation, uh, present from college. And so she was still just my girlfriend living at home. And then he'd come stay with me when she had to work. And then we moved into a new house. We got married. We got another dog. And it was just like he was there for everything. So it was just it was just very devastating. I could definitely tell you it was the worst day of my life so far. For yeah, sure. Yeah. I remember was I remember the day you took off to go pick him up. Yeah. May seventeenth, two thousand thirteen. Yeah. It was uh he was born April fourth. Uh I remember getting pictures. I actually bought that dog before he was born, you know. I remember the runt of the litter died. There was three of them that came out, a boy and two, or two boys and a girl. And the one boy was a runt. He didn't make it. And then the day we got ours, uh, uh, that they were picking up the sister. So I actually got to meet his sister too. And I would love to know, we were talking about breeders and what could have happened. You know, we wonder if there was a breeding problem and cause she wouldn't let us at the farm. Like we got him from a breeder and she wouldn't let us to the farm. We had to meet her at a restaurant to pick him up. Yeah. So... The same thing happened with us. I actually picked my dog up at a gas station,
0: raised on a farm in Peoria, picked her up at a gas station. So
1: Yeah, maybe it's normal. I just find it weird that she was adamant about not having you at the farm, and I just wonder if there was something with breeding that happened. You know? Yeah. So that's all I really want. I just want to say about Leo. My best bud is gone, you know, and it killed the weekend. Just absolutely killed the weekend. End of the week. We're trying to, like, Keep ourselves busy so we're not thinking about it, kind of thing, you know. It's just amazing how much personality gets packed into a dog. I know, you know? I know, and he was just—I don't know if it was just because he had kind of a weird puppyhood, you know, but like he just being passed around with everybody watching him. Even mom, mom had a hand in watching him, you know. And then Bill oh, had a did. hand. Yeah, everybody had a hand and babysit him. I remember the time that you got sick and I dropped him off to go pick up your medicines and you just let him lick your face because you just would didn't have the energy to get him off. Because yeah. he'll lick your face until you push him off. He doesn't stop. Straight up did not have the energy to push him off. So it was like
0: it was like an hour of him straight licking my face and he did not stop. And maybe that's what he thought would make me feel better, but
1: Yeah, so if anybody's if anybody else ever had this guilt, you can email us. Email us at contact at uh, WeekendWildPodcast If they had the guilt, I'm curious to see. Supposedly this is common. I did a lot of research on the guilt, and supposedly it's very common when you put a dog down. And uh, so yeah, you could even find me on Instagram. But send me a message. Let me know if you uh, if you you know had something similar. Does Kel feel any guilt? No guilt. No, no. I was the one who made the decision. Kel's like, oh, I went along with it. And I said, if I told you we're going to bring that dog home for the weekend, we would have, and uh, she would have went along with it. I said it was on me, and. Yeah. You just kind of give your best buddy the lethal injection, you know, and I know he's sick and he's, you know, but you still, you made that decision for him without asking, you know, and I I just think that was terrible. Yeah.
0: But but it, it, I mean, it is what it is. He can't say anything. You know, he's in pain, you know, you, you not making the decision would give him another month of just misery.
1: So oh, the doctor said he won't live two days. Yeah. So there's, there's really nothing to feel guilty about. Yeah. But let's put it this way. If it's so, if it makes so perfect sense to do it to a dog, why, why, don't, why isn't it more common in humans then? If it makes so perfect sense. And it, the reason is, is convenience. You don't have to take him home and you don't have to deal with a sick dog. that's puking all over the place. Cause he started like with that tumor, like he started uh, eating and he'd puke right away. He'd uh, drink water and puke right away. And we're like, what's going on? And we thought it was the antibiotics from the surgery. Because he always, he, every time he was on an antibiotic, he just threw up all the time. So we're like, that's all it is. The doctor was even convinced, bring him in, I'll give him a shot. And they put him under the x-ray and they're like, no, 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 no. That tumor we weren't worried about two weeks ago has quadrupled in size and completely plugged everything off. He's he actually tore up so much stuff that he had internal bleeding we didn't know about. Oh, man. Yeah. And it all blew up in two weeks. From two weeks to the point he was dead was, uh, that's where everything exploded. So anyway, Enough with the sad news. I I got kind of a Great Lakes episode, Lake Michigan episode coming for you, and it just kind of happened on accident, you know? I hope Um, we didn't get the same news articles. We might have. We very much might have. I was actually, when I was doing my news stuff yesterday, I was actually wondering, I wonder if we came up with the same stuff. We got a little bit of news, but the thing, the major thing we're really talking about is, we're kind of new to it, and we haven't really been successful at it yet, is the salmon harbor fishing. Yeah, Arbor the, salmon. The kings. Arbor salmon. yeah, the Kings, kings and the Coho's come in too, but uh, Coho's just not in as big a numbers, but it's really the King run. It happens in the fall. That's coming. We're going to go over what, why, and how kind of thing, but I got I, it's just funny. All the new stuff I came up with was Great Lakes related. So, um, Okay, so let, let me start real quick. Are we going to the news? Or? No, 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 not yet. There's okay. another couple things I wanted to talk about real quick is the Lahaina fires. And so, like, I'm, I'm surprised not a lot of people, like, knew about the Lahaina in Maui. Uh, I was actually texting Dan. I was wondering if he was being affected out there by it because he, he's on the island, you know? He, he drove right by it, apparently. So, anybody that didn't, if you don't, if you haven't heard about that, I'm sure everybody had to hear about it by now, right? But uh, it,
0: just, it just hit mainstream
1: yesterday. So, oh, it did. Okay. Yeah. So, me and Kel went out there. We got married in 2016, and we went to Maui for our uh, honeymoon and we stayed in, uh, I want to say the town just north of it was kind of And I think that's where we actually stayed, but we did everything in Lahaina, everything we, we was based out of. We did whale watching tours cause we went in December during the migration. And so we were doing that. We did snorkeling. Um, and then if, did we get you a souvenir from Hawaii? Do you remember? Yeah, I still got it on my mantle. So every, every souvenir we got from Hawaii came from front street in Lahaina. You know, like we just spent, we probably were there every day. We were there at some point whether it was for lunch, dinner, hanging out we got ice cream we got we the the one waitress actually got used to us and she gave us this corner seat on a uh, it was like a two-story outdoor restaurant and so we actually sat on front street while looking down front street like most nights that that week it's burned it's gone wildfires i was looking up like because there was someone's like oh there's a hurricane there i'm like there's a hurricane in hawaii it's not a hurricane there was actually like a low pressure system to the north there was a hurricane far to the south and the Hawaiian Islands was, like, the channel that, like, these things met and caused this crazy wind. So the brush fire started, and the wind just blew them down, and you know? And
0: the other thing, too, is I guess it pulled all the moisture out of it, uh, like, away from the islands because usually they're pretty moist places. Yeah, it's a
1: humid place. I mean, the mountains are a rainforest. I remember we were there the one time, and they said, they get 435 inches of rain a year, you know? And I'm mean, like, and it's on fire, you know? Yeah. Uh, but we were hoping like we'll be married it'll be seven years this year and we're hoping in three years to do a 10-year anniversary thing with the kids a kid or kids you know and take them all to maui so i don't know about that now you know
0: well seven years right
1: so are you guys good and depressed you ready to move on yeah yeah no sh- <laughs> the one thing i was wondering with the great lakes because i was reading about some other big lakes great slave lake you know and some other ones and I'm like, why aren't they a great lake? Do you know why they're, they're? Do you know why great lakes are great lakes and why other lakes are not great lakes?
0: I, I honestly don't know.
1: If you if you look at like Lake Winnipeg and uh, Great Slave Lake, I bet you acreage is at least the size of Erie, at least the size of Erie. Oh wow! And uh, they're way deeper. Great Slave Lake is like I forget how many hundreds of feet deep they said, but it's crazy deep. So I'm like, how come that's not considered a great lake? The Great Lakes are all in like a river system. They're all tied together. They're, they're not just individual lakes that are independent of one another. I knew that. Definitely I knew that. I knew that, but that is why they're the Great Lakes, because you have this huge lake that feeds a huge lake that feeds a huge lake and keeps going to the ocean, you know? So that's why a Great Lakes is a Great Lake. So like, yeah, we understand there's, there's other really big lakes out there. But they're not a Great Lake because they're not a f- part of this system. Yeah, you know? and
0: th- there was another lake on the East Coast that they tried, like, squirreling in there somehow, and it didn't meet the definition. So somebody – Somebody slipped it in some legislation, and all of a sudden, bang, it was a Great Lake. But it's not really a Great Lake because it
1: doesn't meet the criteria that all of the Great Lakes do. Yeah. So, so the one thing I wanted to start with uh, is Southern Lake Michigan muskies. Have you seen this? No. Southern Lake Michigan muskies. So Zach, let me, uh, he's got one of those. I'm going to say Zach Suchanuk. Suchanuk? I'm going to say Suchanuk. I'm going with Sachinuk. Uh He was out of Port of Indiana to go... Small fishing, I guess the fishing was good too. And all of a sudden he gets this huge follow and he's like, what is that? And it hit his lure. It was a muskie in Indiana, you know? So he lands it and he's like, oh wow, take a picture. He didn't really have a way of measuring. it looks like he didn't really have a net. He said, I had a bass net. So he fumbled with this thing, finally got it in the boat. And he says, I estimated about 40 inches, you know? Um, and then about 20 minutes later and a hundred yards away, he got another one. Wow. Yeah. How about that? And then Duluth News, they put up a uh, they put up a thing. Uh, a guy named Terry Ludwikowski had some fifty inch uh, muskie hit on the St. Louis River up there, and he made the news up in the Duluth News. Duluth News Tribune is one of my one of my places I go for things, you know. And real quick before we get
0: too into Great Lakes talk, I've got one Min- Minnesota related article that I'm just gonna make it short and sweet Oh yeah, go for it. it. But uh, they went backwards on the hunting regulations. I know I okay, I didn't read into this, but I knew where this was going. okay. and the the only one that matters to me is that they did have a rule for crossbows being about they um, they're only being for older people or disabled people. Yeah, that's what it is should be. totally, totally the angle that you know, I would like to see or you know that I think is correct. Uh, I think there's a correlation issue with hunter participation and them rolling these rules back so maybe they're not getting the
1: participation that they want to yeah it's maybe just people don't have the discipline to learn regular archery but it, it you, you'll never be able to convince me in any way shape or form that crossbows belong in archery season i could see a crossbow season after the after the height of the rut and i could see during archery season uh, the disabled young old you know things like that can use them but you can never convince me that putting this thing on a rest and squeezing the trigger with a scope on her is the same thing as archery season. Yes, I know there's a bow or there's a string and there's an arrow.
0: Yeah. It's just not the same though. But
1: that's the only resemblance to archery that it has. Other than that, you could put it on a rest. And you could take shots at hundred yards easily, you know? So
0: that made me that that made me pretty angry. And they, I was just I was just reading random news. In the, the
1: one I back. I do the one thing to give them credit when they when they do make that law i think the one thing that needs to be looked at is they probably had to make it law because it's like there's less hunters and we have more deer and car accidents are going up and crops are getting eaten and so we need to have some sort of thing i wish it was a hey for the next five years they put a time limit on it yeah no i'm telling you that's the
0: correlation thing it's it's participation so how do we get participation up everybody can use a crossbow yeah that's so if if we have more people hunting then you know i i think the the where it is a big issue is around you know where we
1: live where populations the same, are four
0: high. million people have the same stretch of woods to hunt
1: yeah the same a few thousand acres couple yeah. thousand acres you know though the one thing that is nice is it does seem like just us poor people have to do the public a lot of the guys that do have money to like really put deer away they they have some sort of private place up north or down south oh yeah no to me like Whatever you do on your private land, you know,
0: maybe not firearm, of course, but like crossbow, man, you do you. I don't, I don't care. But like, it's just about you having a crazy advantage with doing way less work on public land. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm angry about.
1: Yeah. It, it We just don't have enough deer in one spot in public and the spots aren't that big to where you're already on top of each other. So that also makes me nervous. This guy goes slinging an arrow through the woods and it's going to go an extra 50, 60, 70 yards versus a regular uh, compound bow. And so but that's the same rules, like they make you wear orange when firearm hunting. And a slug, I mean, what's a what's a what's a fire shot for a slug out of shotgun, you think? Like if somebody's gonna take a long shot, what do you think it is? Like hundred and twenty yards. Okay. So like I talked to a couple of crossbow guys that eighty yards is just boring for them to shoot. They can hit their target every time at eighty yards. So how is how is crossbow any different than firearm for safety wise for loose loose bullets and stuff like that? How is that any different?
0: So let me rephrase my answer there. 120 yards to me with a slug and a shotgun would be like a 40 yard shot for archery.
1: Yeah, and that's fair. Uh,
0: But maybe like if you stretch it out to 200, that would become like the 60 or 70 range,
1: you know? Well, like uh, the one time we were sitting there at the parking lot, we were going we we were morning hunting and we were going back out for the afternoon. We were just kind of getting some food and us and stuff. And a couple of kids came dragging. This, I forget, it was an eight or a 10 point buck, big, heavy buck, man. I mean, this is a couple hundred pounds and, uh, they, they dragged out of the woods. I didn't understand why they didn't feel dressed out in the woods. That part got me. But, um, I asked him, I said, how'd you guys, you know, where were you guys at? Or, you know, just like looking for a story. He's like, yeah, he came out at 90 yards and shot. And I remember thinking, man, 90 yards. That's a, he had a crossbow. Yeah. So here I am limited to 40. These, these guys are shooting at 90 and it, it, they want to put it in the same season. I just don't see it. I can understand if we had a deer problem. We don't have a deer problem. Not we're not in the area we live. So start at least picking sites off. This is a non crossbow site. You, you know? got to sight it sighted in once, you don't have to hold your draw. Pop, you know. Uh anyway. So you got any other you got anything else you want to say or you want me to move on? No, not about that, no. Uh the one me and Pat are very curious if we got the same news articles. So the one I got from M Live, uh, Luddington, Pentwater, next big Lake Michigan dredging season. Have you? Uh, no, no, no. It's all you. Good. <laughs> do you got any more? Uh, I got one about uh, shipping. Okay, that, that might. Well, we'll let you go next. How about that? But anyway, the I just thought that the reason. Like, do I really care about them having to dredge? No, but the reason behind it I thought was cool. So the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers started <clears throat> dredging uh, both harbors. It's been a busy season for dredging, they said, more than usual. Uh, They blame it on how low of ice we had this winter. So what they said was when the ice is out there, the water's not swirling with the wind and kicking everything up and uh, washing it ashore. Yeah, dead plant material. And so because of the ice conditions, it's worse. And then also there's another reason why it's worse. So when the, when, the lake has, uh, when the lake has ice, the water moves less. I said that. So also it's blamed on erosion from the high waters uh, eroding the bluffs from, uh, I believe it said 2019 and 2020, the water was high in Lake Michigan. It was eroding away all those sand bluffs on the Michigan shore and washing that in. And then with low ice, it's pushing it up in there. But so far, the Army Corps of Engineers has moved 330,000 cubic yards of sand out of uh, different harbors and stuff this year. So, yeah, it doesn't sound like this would be a problem to me if there wasn't a
0: shipping industry. So,
1: um, and I'm getting into that, but maybe you, you might have that article too. So what do you got?
0: No, mine has, mine is shipping related. There was a tanker, not, not a tanker, but a regular old ship that spilled a thousand gallons of diesel fuel. Did you have that one? No. All right. So I did
1: see this is like a week or two old though, isn't it?
0: Yeah. No, this one, I, I did. I literally found this article the day after we recorded the last podcast.
1: Okay. Yeah. So a week old.
0: So, hold up, let me get my glasses on here.
1: Old man's got to get his glasses on her.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, life's tough sometimes, you know.
1: But uh, roughly 1,000
0: gallons of diesel fuel is believed to have spilled into Lake Michigan um, through a whole breach on a stricken freighter. And this is in Manistee, Michigan. Yeah. So, the thing that, as this article goes on, they try and reassure you that this is not a big deal. They put a boom out now. A thousand gallons compared to what's in Lake Michigan truly is nothing, right? It's not like, oh, the lake is.
1: Did you I, going back? Did you say diesel or was it oil? Diesel. Okay. And
0: it, it was it was a freighter's fuel is what it was. You know, I get it when a ship sinks, like you lose a lot of fuel and stuff like that. But this guy sounds like it just had a a malfunctioning tank or like a hole in the tank or a crack or rust or whatever, and all this fuel spills out. So they go and they put booms out and but it's this trail the dude didn't lose it all in one spot yeah, they lost right. it they lost it over this big long stretch and they said don't worry diesel fuel evaporates now i know that diesel fuel evaporates but it's very slow yeah and not like gasoline gasoline's like gone you know it's very slow rate now yeah if you told me oh yeah 10 years all of it'll be gone i would be like okay i believe that but you know a week no and there's no way and the other thing too the diesel that they use is not like the diesel that's in the trucks driving down the street this stuff is thicker it's less quality, so that it. This is closer to crude oil than regular diesel or gasoline would be. Yeah, so so it
1: wasn't. So what you're, you're saying is this was actually fuel for the ship. It wasn't like he was transporting it somewhere. Yeah, fuel for the Strip. You know, oh, okay. Yeah.
0: And I mean, think about how much fuel that a tanker, not a tanker. Sorry, I keep saying tanker, but a regular old freighter needs to just move along. A lot.
1: Yeah, when you said tanker, that's what I'm like I, that's where I thought you were going with this is they were transporting it kind of like an oil spill. That's why I was wondering, man, I'm surprised they did they had diesel on a ship like that. But no, that makes sense now. So I get it. Accidents <clears throat> happen,
0: ships sink, and it gets even way worse than this. But at the same time, don't try and make us feel better saying, Oh no, don't worry, most of it evaporates. It's like, well, you know, like I thought you were supposed to have super strict regulations and uh, you know, your buddy throws a cigarette butt in and that's worth twenty five thousand bucks. How much is this worth? You know? Yeah it's just yeah that's so that happened like a week ago you said yeah so well yeah, the article came out a week ago so maybe it happened like late july
1: but still no matter how old the story is it still sucks uh i got a, i got a shipping story for you if you want from bridge michigan.com uh great lake shipping uh continues to decline so have you seen anything on this or no uh i just knew that as a fact so the downturn originates from the change in the steel industry. Do you know what the major there's – there's a couple of things that really change in the steel industry. But the one I was actually surprised that they blame the most because it they, they ships – iron ore is the biggest thing that they ship in the Great Lakes. But do you know why it's different? Because that, they don't need the iron ore. They, and they don't need it, one, manufacturing downturn in this country is, is a major actual thing.
0: I was going to say we import way more Chinese steel
1: now than we ever did. The one thing they said is because there's so much steel that has been made uh, for years and years that the scrap piles are so huge that they're actually burning that down and using scrap. And depending on the steel you need, that's okay. But if you need actual real hard rockwells, tool steels type stuff, you still need like iron ore, yeah, you know, to make really good stuff. But the second you throw it all in a bin together,
0: it all changes the quality.
1: I guess a washing machine housing, maybe you don't need. You could, you know, yeah, to melt it down stuff is fine. But they were saying that the scrap metal is so huge and getting turned over so much that the iron ore for fresh steel is not necessarily something that they need all the time. But the other things too. So iron ore, obviously, that's down. But another main two main things that they do is limestone and coal, which we've talked about uh, coal before. Those are uh, those are what keep the shipping industry alive on Lake Michigan. Uh, iron ore actually said 42% of all things shipped in 2020 was iron ore. So, and I said the uh, scrap industry is huge. So, yeah, the uh, the shipping industry is going down in Lake Michigan. And it, it has been since like the like 50s. Yeah, that's, that's the thing is it's a steady decline. Well, you just look and it's just like, and we've covered a lot of stuff on Great Lakes over, but uh, the Great Lakes were a great thing to have once upon a time to move between these cities. But then they started building roads. They started building trains. Vehicles got more and more reliable, can go farther. There's more civilization to gas up. And, you know, so over the land things have gotten really popular. But back in the early 1800s, man, the water was the way to travel in this country. But how many semis would it take to transport 50,000 tons of oh, iron ore?
0: I agree. That's probably why it still goes by ship. You know, and the other thing too, it, most of these steel mills are, out, you know, right on the lake. But, yeah. You know, and it's just that's just the way it is. So to move fifty thousand tons of iron ore in one shipment, uh, compared to what you would have to do with semi trucks, like it would be nuts. And the rate of risk in terms of accidents and you know people being on the road is like way lower for the shipping industry. Yeah, ships sink, but not you know, not fifty thousand trucks on the road.
1: You got any more news for us? Is that it? That, that's it. That's, that's it. A, yeah, I only had the two articles. Um, so we, since we haven't had a bush like Billy in a while, the one thing I was going to kind of do was a food thing. So I I just smoked a, I just smoked another chicken for Cal, and I did the I did it just her favorite way of doing it with lemon. Uh, I'm getting around to a question, believe it or not, I just got I just take the scenic route for some reason. But so anyway, I did that. Um, it's just the lemon lemon pepper and over the lump charcoal with apple bits in there. But anyway, either tomorrow it's probably gonna be Sunday now. Tomorrow I'm gonna do something because we have that German Shepherd this is absolutely heartbroken and her buddy's gone. You know, so I've been trying to keep her busy and do things with the baby. But I'm on daddy duty tomorrow. I forgot to tell you, I have a vacation day tomorrow.
0: Yeah, kind of figured.
1: Um, but anyway, so Sunday I'm on daddy duty again. So I got to get my fishing in on Saturday. But uh, the one thing I'm wondering, do you have any recommendations? And I haven't asked Bill this yet, um, but do you have any recommendations for a small piece of beef to smoke? Do you have any, I don't want, oh, I don't dude. want something that's going to take 18 hours. I was looking for something that took four, you know? So
0: I would always recommend brisket. Brisket's more of a commitment than.
1: It's a huge commitment. And it, I, I want, there's a couple of things I want to do on Sunday, but I really wanted to smoke some sort of beef. I haven't smoked myself a piece of meat. You realize the last like 10 times I smoked was for cow. I didn't even eat the things I smoked. She loved it. And I have no idea what it tastes like. So I do. Cause I don't um, eat chicken. Cause it's a gross ass bird. <laughs> I do caps, any kind of cap okay. or chuck roast. So I was thinking of a chuck roast, and then I was thinking about doing uh, beef sandwiches out of it. I was going to do a nice mesquite because I got the mesquite wood to smoke in or a smolder on it and all that. And so I was thinking chuck roast, but I I asked two guys so far, and they're like, I don't know, man. That stuff's tough. That stuff's tough. That stuff's tough. But I was looking, and there's still probably a good six to eight-hour smoke.
0: And one thing you could do if you can keep it away from the dog is keep it at room temperature for five hours, six hours preceding. The cook.
1: Believe it or not, Elsa's a good dog and she doesn't beg and she doesn't take. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I could leave, I can leave a done steak on the floor next to the sink and she still won't take it.
0: Oh, if, if my dog couldn't fit it in her belly, she's, <laughs> she's dragging it somewhere where she could, you know, and then you'll look at her and she be like, I didn't do nothing, you know. And she ate uh two pork chops, no, four pork chops and two burgers the one time on me. And
1: we were out of the house for two minutes,
0: and she ate it all.
1: The the one thing, I, a buddy of mine, he's off work right now because uh, hernia surgery. Um, popped the hernia this year, and it just slowly got worse, finally got surgery. So he's off right now, but he's a big, big, big smoker guy. And he sent me a picture of this chunk of meat that is called the Thor's Hammer. Have you heard of this? I think it's like a tomahawk, isn't it? Um, it looks like a tomahawk, but it comes out of the leg. Okay. And uh, he is eight pounds, and it was as big... It looks like it looks like just a caveman piece of meat. You grab the bone, and you rip the meat off, and, yeah. you know. But I texted him. I said, how was that? And after he got done smoking, he goes, I don't know if I'd do it again. He says, uh, the fat didn't render right, and it wasn't... It, it's like you really had to pick at it to get the good pieces off of it. He says it wasn't like melt-in-your-mouth type. But if you look at it, you're like, man, that looks great. He says it wasn't as good as it looked at all. So my recommendation
0: is you treat a chuck like a brisket, but you put the temperature down even further. That way it takes longer.
1: So that's what I, I was reading. 2.25, I heard, is the max temperature to smoke a, a chuck roast. Yeah. Because I think I have one in the freezer here. That's what I thought about, just cooking it.
0: If you're going to do a cap, you don't treat it like a brisket. You cook it higher for way shorter. And what you're doing is is you're, you're almost cooking it like a giant steak.
1: So the tri-tip was kind of like that. The tri-tip, I cooked slow at probably 225 until it reached an internal temperature of, I think it was 170, and then I seared it. I heated that because, you know, I got the egg. Yeah. Uh, I I got that thing cooking at like 700 degrees and flip it, and it was fantastic. But the thing is, is I'm not looking for some big piece because I only want to eat it a couple of times. That's why I'm trying to think of something small. So, once again, if you hear this and you can think of something, it's too late. The day's already passed, but I'm going to be looking for this again in the future. So, if you can think of something small that's perfect for like a four-hour smoke, email us at. We're really email us at, Pat. Oh,
0: man. The website changes so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've changed it's the name. contact at weekendwildpodcast.com. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was just thinking you never said that before. Um, well, so that's yeah, because
0: that- you you spearheaded that when we changed and now i like i remember it but i'm not going to be like contact uh, you know or at weekendwildpodcast.com you know it's just not something i've said before
1: so that's what i'm looking for this weekend something because i'm gonna have the baby i'm gonna have the shepherd and we're just gonna kind of hang out in the yard and i'm gonna be drinking pbr because i'm not allowed by bush anymore i'll be drinking pbr and smoking meat and just kind of just kind of having a day with the baby and a dog how you about know? you make some t-shirts
0: that's extremely time consuming if
1: i uh if i had all the stuff you did maybe maybe i'll come over what are you doing Sunday? Maybe I'll come over and make some t-shirts with you.
0: I got to get a better heat press, man. I've now, now I've got a shirt that says we wild cast.
1: <laughs> so, just yeah, because is,
0: like your iron, it's very hard to do it super evenly with an iron.
1: So me and Pat are wearing new t-shirts. Are we still doing the deal where somebody gives us absolutely. a absolutely.
0: Yeah, that, that's another thing I was going to say. If you want a t-shirt, uh we're, you know, we're small enough right now where I can give away a few free t-shirts and it's not going to break the bank. So if you want a free t-shirt, all you got to do is email us with a news article,
1: tell us a story. A topic, something that we can use on the podcast. If we use it on the podcast, you will get a t shirt. So, so I'd say I'd be, I'm
0: giving away, giving them away for a song, but it's a little bit more than this song. So you got to give us something. Yeah. You got to give us an article, uh, a story that you got, and if we like it, we'll send you a shirt.
1: And uh, especially if you have any Chippewa flowage, non top water, big musky stories, we'll take that. If you got, But I don't want to hear about top water. I don't yeah, want to hear about I'm, top water. I, I'm not over top water. I'm not over it, but it's just like... Uh, but the I, world is changing. Yeah. So if you have, if you have any of those, but uh, moving forward, so we did a little bit of food, but at, at now we're going into uh, fall fishing king salmon, which we've done a couple of times. I got bit off three times. It might've been a giant pike where we were at, but uh, haven't been good. At, I've witnessed people and I've done a lot of research on it, but we're, I'm actually starting to dial this in, but I actually used field and stream for a lot of my information here on king fishing in the fall. So some of this, I should say a lot of this I already knew, but it was actually nice to read it and not hear it from somebody that you're fishing next to, you know, just kind of that word of mouth knowledge. Although some of that's the most useful. So I've
0: got a giant question. Yeah. If you look at, cause I did a lot of research on Kings too. If you look at what people say is the season did not line up with where I thought it was going to go.
1: Where, what did, okay. what do you think?
0: So they say, oh, it's big from, you know, late May, early June to like the third week of August. And I'm thinking, well, we don't even get on the
1: Harbor till that it, it's not for shallow water for deep water. Yeah.
0: No, that, that's kind of where I figured that was going. But yeah. Like they, like the two articles don't I'm, I'm sorry. The two topics of that type of fishing don't coincide with each other. Like they
1: don't distinguish those. You know what I mean? Well, because th- they're just looking at salmon season, but we're looking at a very specific, uh, it's a very specific, almost, I don't want to say like uh localized type fishing, or, like, but it's more like a culture style fishing. It's, uh, the, you know, when you get in Indiana, you have like Trail Creek, you get in, uh, Michigan, you got the St. Joe and stuff like that. Those people are fishing in those rivers. But what's very unique about what we do, it was Chicago and a, a Kenosha too. They fish a river mouth in Kenosha. But what we do in the Illinois side is it's harbors and they treat them like these rivers. And it's just a totally out of whack. These fish don't belong here. They were yeah. brought here to clean up alewives, they don't belong here. And it's just this very, modern culture this doesn't go back a long time they haven't been doing this for hundreds of years in lake michigan they've been doing it for like 60 years in lake michigan you know
0: well i mean like 50 they got brought in in the 70s
1: the one little thing they said so like when you're catching when so in the shores when or in the harbors when you're catching these things you are catching the adults that are at the end of their life they are spawning and then they are dying so the fish you catch were going to be dead in a few weeks anyway but the one thing I thought it was a little – I thought maybe, maybe not. But Field and Stream quoted the Wisconsin DNR saying, typically these fish go out to deep water. They live in deep water for two to four years, and then they come back, spawn, and die. I always thought it was uh, five to six is what I heard. Um, sorry, we had a text message there, and we both distracted us. So, but these uh, – these fish go out, and then they come back, and they're usually two to four years old. I don't think they're that young. Maybe, maybe in spots of Wisconsin, but I think down here, I don't think they're four years old when you're catching them. I think it's more like six. So I don't know if you ran into anything with that information. No, I did not. So like when you're out on the lake, you were talking about um, you know, the good season out on the lake. And when, those, when you're out on the lake and you're kind of catching them, it, they average a lot smaller than they do. Because you're catching, the still early on in life ones living out in deep water. But when you catch them in the harbors and in the creek mouths, they average 17 to 22 pounds is the average. Because that's about what they grow to. That's kind of maximum size. They're at the end of their life. They're dying, they ain't growing anymore. Um, Do you know, I don't know if you ran into this. So we call them kings, right? Do you know the actual salmon name? Chinook. Oh, Okay. Okay, I wasn't sure if you knew that or not. Yeah, I play a really popular trivia show, and that was
0: actually a question,
1: and I got it right. Um, Also, the Coho's come in, but it's usually, they say, it's no better than a two-to-one ratio. For every Chinook that comes, every king that comes in, one Coho will come behind it, and they're a smaller breed of salmon. Um, The Chinook, the reason why they are kinged, did you see this? Do you know why they call them kings?
0: Uh, Because they're the biggest of that family.
1: The biggest of the Pacific salmon family, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that. I always heard Kings and I just figured it was just some nickname that somehow got it. And, you know.
0: I actually just learned that when I researched this.
1: Oh, okay. But yeah. I'm going to act like I knew it. So do you know why they come back to a harbor? Do you know why they come up into this harbor? Uh, because,
0: because they got released in that harbor.
1: They got released in that harbor. So you can actually on Field and Stream on this article. So if you guys just Google Fall Fishing King Salmon, you'll probably find the same Field and Stream article. Um, but they actually have a map of how many fish were released where. So you know if if it was in 2018 that they dropped the, this many salmon, this year, in theory, they should be coming back, right? Okay. And roughly. So you can actually spot that stuff out, and there's actually maps of where these salmon come from. and But they remember. They go out in deep water like they would in the ocean, and then they come back to where they were born and spawn and die. Yeah. I, I learned a whole bunch of this when I read that one book about the Great Lakes. Yeah. Yeah, I got some information. That's where like when I was researching this, I'm like, Oh, I knew a lot of this stuff. And uh but I don't remember you know like when you learn things and you don't remember where, you know, like I don't remember
0: But to me it's like so what's what's the thing that makes them come back? Is it the smell? They're not gonna be like, Hey, we came from over there four years ago, right? Like that I don't know. I don't know. You know?
1: I'm sure there's an answer, I'm sure there's a theory out there, but I don't have it. But somehow they make it back to where they were born. And it's gotta be smell. It's gotta be it's gotta be some sort of smell. The only thing I can think of is some sort of uh, latitude pattern where they didn't really migrate north, they didn't really migrate south, but I don't think that's true either because it's so big. It's not like they just go out there and bob around the same three foot square for. I mean, like, I, four I, years. I bet it's not like one
0: thing. It could be a little bit of smell, could be a little bit of like what you were saying, latitude.
1: Do fish have noses? <laughs> <laughs> but they, I'm just, I'm just being an asshole. That's all. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so in August, August is when we're about to, by the time this podcast comes out, it's going to, if the weather's right, it's going to start heating up with the Kings. I already said on the last podcast, there was already signs of Kings being close. And even Nick sent us that video of uh, Kings being close to the harbors. So, but August could actually get them going. But September, September is really the prime time season. So like that is, that is the rut of this. So that's
0: why that article, all the articles that I read said it, it dies off. Like last week of August, and that's because they're all going inward.
1: Well, the ones that are going to be spawning, but they they don't. Not every salmon comes in every year, right? It, yeah. j- just the adults that are at a certain age, you know. Um, so they start by so like uh, right now in like mid to late August. If you're if you don't see them in the harbors yet, they start by coming up to the mouths of a tributary or a harbor. So probably where they from the shoreline where they meet to. I don't know, a few hundred yards out, they really start stacking up and they start staging and they know it's coming and they're in their spot. They're ready to go, you know, um, they stage there until the water temps are right. This can take from two weeks to a month. So the one guy was describing this as they're here today, gone tomorrow. So if you're out there today and you're catching salmon off the mouth in the main lake, and then tomorrow you come out there and you can't even spot one, what changed? Uh, Did a cold front sweep through and cool the water temps off? Did a heavy rain come in and flood the rivers and cool them off? But it's like that, gone. They're gone. And they're heading up the miles of these things into the harbors, and they're gone. You got anything you want to add? I've been doing a lot of talking. I'm kind of drying out here. No, no, you've got all the notes on it. Well, you you got nothing you want to add so far? Well, no, I've I've got something to add at the end, but I want you to finish your spiel. I got a lot. So um, when they are entering... The harbor or the tributaries, they are kind of cruising in. They're not like in, they're not dialed in mode yet. So they actually come in and they start shallower. So if it's early in the season, they can be shallower. Hmm. Um, as as they kind of get settled and they're, now they're entering, they are looking for a spot to spawn. They're looking for rocky areas to spawn. So then they start moving down lower and they're actually all right. Let's look around here. Let's look around. What's is that a good spot? Is that a good spot? And they're looking around. And so as the season goes later. You guys start dropping with it. And a boat gives you major advantage. Oh, big time. Because <clears throat> you, can, you can spot these things on electronics. But we typically shore fish these. Um, let me see. I just lost my place here. Yeah, so when they're entering, they're a little uh, shallow. And then they run deeper looking for rocky spots to lay eggs. So ideally, we were, when we said this last time, we talked about Sam. I don't remember if it was last episode or the episode before. But ideally, the perfect temperatures for all this to agree is the mid-50s. Wow, that's like that's like early October. Um, that's what I mean. So, like uh, they, they were talking about big, heavy rains, western winds that blow warm water out and bring cold water in. Yeah, a lot of things go into this. You know, it's not like oh, it's September first, I'm gonna go catch a salmon. We got a heat wave going on. It ain't the case. Yeah, but I've got Saturday <laughs> and Sunday. So. I know we got the weekends to do it, so we kind of hit it hard. But like for instance, I could look at the weather and be like, I'm not even gonna bother with this yet. You know. Um. They say once it hits sixty and into the sixties, they start getting a little finicky. They uh, they kind of, they're not moving in a, a traditional pattern. They're not taking typically, once it gets into the sixties. So one thing I'm going to call BS on completely is you hear these people talk
0: about these things hit purely out of reaction because you hit them and you pissed them off, right? Like that's that's the big thing about salmon fishing when you go out there and talk. Uh, to people. I'm
1: wondering where you're going because I have the, I have something along those lines on here. Yes, so I'm. Calling complete BS on that, because why would that be the case if you had a glow in the dark spoon? Because there's uh it's a light fluttering thing going past their nose, and mm-hmm. they're like, it's kind of the same reason if you had a fly doing this in front of your eyeball, what would you do? You know, I'd eat it. Uh, you swat at it. Yeah, well, they don't have hands, do they? I don't think salmon have hands, so they gotta do something else. They got fins, which is their mouth. Um, so it's actually, but the other thing too with a reaction bite is not just an annoying thing. The reaction bite is that they have been—they've just spent their entire lives snapping at AOIs and snapping at other bait fish, and so it's a reaction to my whole life. Whenever something gets this close to my face, I hit it. So, but they don't actually—they're not hungry, looking to feed—is the biggest thing. They're not actually in there looking to eat, but they hit it because that's what they've always done. So, yeah, when the, when we say the reactionary bite, we're kind of referring to—they are just speeding up old habits. It's kind of like, you know, you ever, you, when you do something the same way every day, like for instance, when that dog just died, right? I still have a lot of things that I do as if he was alive. I come in, I wake up Cal to go pump. Yeah. And I actually, uh, I move slow so he doesn't jump down because we don't even want him to jump down when he started getting sick. And like, so I'm, I'm, I'm reacting as if the dog still lives here, you know, or you just, you, uh, for instance, a couple of times I've had this happen, like just total brain fart moments. Um, when I was working here or living here and working in the city. We took pretty much the same path to go to Kel's parents' house. So it was like Christmas or whatever. And we get in the car and I've made this drive a million times, right? So I'm I'm just totally autopilot mode, driving along, driving along. And finally Kel's like, Where are we going? And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, <laughs> Been I'm, there. I'm up on like 87th Street. They live down in like 107th, you know? And she goes, Where are you going? I said, I thought just went total autopilot mode going to work. You know, so pretty much. With that being said, these fish hit those because they always have, not because they're hungry. They're not heating because they're hungry. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where we were going with reactionary bite. But yes, also out of annoyance, the glowing spoon is because you got this big fluttering thing in front of your nose. So you know? I've
0: got a couple lures that I want you to glow up for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, um,
1: my whole thing about
0: that was a different presentation. Everybody's throwing a spoon that just does a little wiggle, and we're
1: gonna try something different. We're gonna be we're gonna be dialing this in. Supposedly, uh, well, you know what? We're going to get into baits in a minute. Um, let me maybe finish up with some of the more of the scientific stuff. Because like if, if you understand their movements, you might have a better chance of catching them. If it, it, so you do decide, okay, this is the weekend I get to fish for salmon. And you're, you realize that everything's too warm and they're probably not in the harbors yet. So keep moving slowly out into the mouth of the lake. Weather dependent, obviously. A couple of times we were out there last year in the middle of the night and there was like five footers coming in. Yeah. And I would not want to be out there in a boat. No, no, no. Not at night, you know, especially by break walls and stuff. So, but in theory, if you're like, they're not really in the harbors yet. It's September 3rd and they're not in the harbors yet. Move slowly out into the lake and start seeing if you can spot them. See if you can spot them because they're staging. They're coming. It's their time of year. They're coming. They're just waiting until they're comfortable to come in.
0: I, I I can't wait. <clears throat> Love this.
1: Yeah, so you can fish from boats, piers, or even waiting. So you if you get into some of these river systems, you can wait them uh, off beaches. I know beaches are a big one when they're staging still. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just
0: have a weird. I, I have a problem thinking about it with like rivers and stuff because we just did the harbor, so it's it's very hard
1: for me to like relate. Uh, yeah, because we're like, we're like we're talking. I I had to really dial in uh, an article on this, so I, I'm not giving you guys just what I know. And it turns out that was some backwoods, you know, bullshit that came up. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure we actually had pros that knew what they were talking about, <clears throat> the understanding of why and where and all that stuff. But so the most effective lures, which we all throw for them, are spoons. You know, glow, uh, jigging spoons. So there's actually a lot of uh, proof that or, like a lot of people actually jig right under the boat. Zzz, zzz, this Really? these things and dropping them, yeah. Wow, and then, so I thought that was more trolling bait. These things move in pods. So, like, I had a couple of pods go right by me three feet under the water. I'm like, whoa, they're gone. They're like a jet underwater. Yeah. And, but they're moving. They're moving, they're moving, they're moving. So, you're not really, like, drawing them in. You're jigging. So, as you're jigging, they're swimming by and seeing it. Yeah, you you're, know?
0: you're hoping you run into a few.
1: And they move in, and I'm sure it's just like the white bass run or any other kind of run. They move in. the The closer they are together... Uh, and the more of them there are together is like it all depends on water temp and, how you know, the fish stocking that happened that year that turns them back in. There's a lot that goes into this. So some years a pod might be three fish. Other years a pod might be ten fish. Yeah. And hopefully you run into them with a jigging spoon. So do you think those fish have been together their whole lives? Uh, I don't know. Probably there's a good chance, right? I mean, I, but I don't know. Well, I mean, if they're so routine
0: and so dialed into the way that they were spawned or, you know, the way that they were put in. You know, maybe that's... Maybe.
1: Maybe they, like, have almost, like, their little pack out there.
0: I don't know. Yeah. That would
1: be a good question for a pro, for sure.
0: Well, I mean, they don't know. You'd have to go ask the scientist.
1: So, we said spoons, jigging spoons, rattle. They said rattle baits. I'm sure they mean rattle traps. Zzz, drop it. Zzz, yeah. drop it. And then uh crankbaits. So, I know a big popular one's a J13. But I'm telling you, I've I've talked to way more people with... uh Glowing stuff at night works better, and at night, it's not like they they necessarily like the darkness. It's just that nighttime probably offers water temps that they need, so it drops the water temp off. I've got an idea. I'm, I don't want to like give it away yet because that,
0: yeah, I don't want to give it away yet. If I have crazy success, then maybe. But uh, I, I'm gonna get a lure
1: that's gonna be banging some rocks, man. Um, the other thing, I know exactly where you're going with this. Uh, the other, the other very common thing that we saw a lot of out there. Was salmon eggs under a bobber. Preferably a glow-in-the-dark lighted bobber. Everyone had that red one out there. You know, I still have one. I bet you mine's like 20, 25 years old. I don't even know how old mine is, but it's the same one they use today. It's a red one with like a, I want to say where you clip the line on is yellow, and you put a little bobber out there under an egg sack, and that's a very effective lure. So is that roe? Roe. Or caviar? Uh, no, caviar, sturgeon eggs. Uh, skein, isn't it called skein? Oh, I I did I was yeah, I was looking skeen, for later right something like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why. I guess I didn't look that up, but I, I, I want to say it's skeen is what they call it. I didn't never figured caviar it. was actually just sturgeon eggs. I thought caviar would just applied <laughs> to eggs. No, as far as I know, caviar is sturgeon eggs. But oh. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, bright colors are best. You know that. It's not like musky fishing, you yeah. know. Bright mm-hmm. colors are best. Uh chartreuse, fighter tiger, lime green, and orange are your best if you're by the be- the brightest nastiest glowing lure you can find because like we were talking about it's a reaction bite yeah don't worry about the color worry about the glow so if it's camouflaged into the water you're not going to do that good you want it to be annoying picture picture what a fly has to be to be annoying in your face when you're you know what 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 takes a good fly to be annoying in your face you're trying to turn that into a lure for a salmon you know you want them to swipe at it you want them to swipe at it you think about if i wanted to catch you and I, was, I had a little fly lure we buzzing right in front, and you reached and grabbed it, I could set the hook on you, right? So what are you
0: going to do for a light this year? I've got a brand new idea that I think is going to be awesome.
1: You mean for glowing spoons or just yeah. working?
0: No, for glowing spoons.
1: Uh, the best thing a lot of people do is they have flashes off a of camera that choo, they hit it, and it holds a glow for a lot longer than just glowing them with your flashlight.
0: So because of our profession, I've got this crazy big Milwaukee light. Oh, yeah, It's yeah, a yeah, big yeah. brick. yeah. And, yeah, it's going to light up a bunch of people, but I don't care. I'm, I might just, like, point it at the water.
1: I, I Actually, the one thing I was going to do, I may mean, have a lot of pictures of spoons on my phone, but I was actually going to turn the flash on and see if the flash off the camera is enough to glow them up good. So I just, you
0: know. I don't
1: know, but that gets annoying. Then you're filming with your phone by water, and we all know how that turns out. <laughs> we and know how that turns out for one of us.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I've talked to a few people ever since that, and it, it seems like half of the people I talk to have a story about dropping a phone in the water.
1: So, <laughs> I know. There are a lot of them out there. Um, so we were talking about the reaction strikes. I just like, like I said, they don't, they're not in there to feed, but they out of feeding so often for so many years, trying to get big, trying to get strong and also out of annoyance, they will hit lures. All right. So I'm wondering, is the lure with the crazier action, the more annoying one? Yes, definitely. That's why you, that's why you got don't, it. that's why you don't use some of these Man, bass lures. We're going to clean up. I've got the perfect <laughs> idea. Uh, the, your lure, the one you're talking about, actually they use, so. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's a that's a common salmon lure. Dang. But, um, the one thing I did buy to get ready is because, like, <clears throat> Nick kept breaking off. We watched something lose was, like, $40 in spoons in three minutes last year. And, uh, I'm like, man, these spoons, I just can't believe how much spoons cost. You know, these little Clio glows, <clears throat> they're what, $6, $7? And um, yeah, they're like seven or eight bucks a piece. Um. And I'm like, it's a spoon. It's stamped out. It's bent up with a treble hook on it. Why does this thing cost? You know. So I actually found good little spoons in a bulk price that I'm going to paint and uh, glow. So I got a couple of them going now. I got to see how it. What about the weight? Three quarters of an ounce, just like yeah. I like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All uh, right. So, there, you know, Cast Kings, Leo, Little Cleos. What are some of the other ones? Do you remember some of the other ones? Those are the two I buy, you know? No, I cat. just remember the Cleo. I mean, there's a bunch of different ones. But the thing that
0: you want to distinguish too is there's a trolling spoon. Yes. So and when you're in there buying spoons, there's a trolling spoon and there's a casting spoon. Casting spoons are heavier. They're a little bit shorter and
1: fatter. The trolling spoons are longer and lighter. And they're like a surfboard. You got to like, We didn't know that when we first got in this, so I own a bunch of those stupid things. And it's like I had to buy those little weights that clip onto the line and throw them out there. You still give them like 40-second counts to get them 10 feet down. It's annoying as hell to throw them. And it, then they, it,
0: they don't even glow that good. And, like, if you're using a baitcaster throwing them, you're going to be picking out backlashes because these things do not fly that well.
1: But you get a little Cleo. And then, like, uh, oh, the one thing we should probably get into is rods and reels real quick. I would not walk out there with anything less than a 2500 series reel, like a twenty five hundred size reel, and I' telling you, I, I switched the salmon rod last year with the eight foot six medium action, and you just you just launch these things into space, you know, so you could really ca- you cover miles of harbors and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, this was a, a pretty long and light spinning rod that Jim was just flicking them and whipping them out there. Whoosh. And I'm doing all this work with a baitcaster, and he's just, you know, and they're just gone.
1: And then so, like, I don't know if Pat thought I was just good at casting, but I let him try it, and he was able to do the same thing. Send that son of a bitch to space, you know? And I just don't,
0: I don't know, after using, like, baitcaster, like, the bigger I go with spinning. Um, the more
1: annoying, and it's just cumbersome.
0: Yeah, it's just clunky. They feel clunky, and it doesn't feel like I have any finesse with it.
1: Uh, so the, 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 one thing like they say is like, you, you, want to bring extra line with you because if you, you tie into a big one and your drag's not right, or you just can't stop, you got to turn these things around the bigger, the area you are fishing. So if you're fishing a big deep harbor, which we do, these things can run and to pull out to pull out 20 pounds of drag, if you have that much on a spinning reel, uh, is nothing for them. Just, you just hear drag when somebody ties in. The drag starts screaming, and you can actually burn them out and stuff like that. These are some of the hardest fighting fish you'll ever have on light gear, especially. Um, but when you get in the creeks and all that, they have a lot more logs and rocks. And so they're not willing to run like they are in big, deep, open water.
0: So you're saying if you're doing the harbors or anything in like, like on the mouth of Lake Michigan, you need a big spool?
1: Uh, you don't need necessarily a big spool, but have extra line in case you do tie into one and he just rips you all the way out. Or off. in
0: other words, always keep your spool full.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> gotcha. Braided line uh, with fluorocarbon leaders is, like, the best from what everybody says. That's they the can, way you want to do it. They can run about 600 yards with a, <laughs> a 6,500. <laughs> yeah, 6,500 yeah, that Power power Pro on there, yeah. Yeah. But those those will probably stop it. But the problem is, like, that's a, the other benefit of a long rod is you have a rod axis drag. You don't, you, you know, a long rod, you have more bend, and you're the less stress on a reel. So you can actually turn these things around better with a longer rod. Follow me? Yeah, absolutely. Staring um, them. I'm trying to think of anything else to say. So, but I, well, it's I actually
0: about leverage.
1: Yeah. It, the best, like they say, the best salmon rods have more bend through the rod versus the tip. The best casting rods only flex to the tip. Those are the first ones broken. Those are the first ones broken because the weak link is this long instead of eight feet long. Yeah. You know, it's a foot long instead of eight feet long. Um, that's all I really have on it. The one thing I, so when I started learning this, um, The one guy I watched on YouTube is Tony Spot on Fishing. And he does he teaches you like the best lures and all that. And he the we were doing this in the city of Chicago and his he has videos the best harbors to fish out of and how to do it and where to go. But Tony Spot on Fishing. Never met the guy. Don't know him. Don't know him at all. But uh he has the best videos on fall king salmon in Lake Michigan. So that to me, that's the unique thing about this is you actually need to go to the spot. There
0: is no like, oh, yeah, just find your little place on the lake shore because they didn't they, they didn't get thrown in there. They right. didn't spawn there. Like It's not like, oh, well, I got a place on Lake Michigan. I could just go out front.
1: In this case, in only this case, it just doesn't work like that. And when you get out there, except that like a lot of people get upset when they show up and there's a lot of people at a fishing spot. And at first, the first couple of times you're like, man, look at all these people out here. But it's a cultural thing. Like, be part yeah. of the culture. I kind of like. When I first pulled up, I'm like, dude, there's a lot of people here. And then you're walking out there. You're like, it's not necessarily a party, but it's just cool. Everybody's there doing the same thing, and they're all cheering each other around. When somebody's on, you're excited. You want to see that fish. Yeah, we got a guy you know? at
0: the end of the harbor last year who caught a fish, and he's walking back with it. And you could just you could just hear him the whole way. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, my first one. Thanks, dude. Yeah, thanks.
1: And he's doing this. Everybody. Even we said, I said good job to him as he yeah. walked by. And you he's know? he's got a you know
0: 400-yard walk. To get oh, back to the car, maybe no. even more. Yeah, quarter I'm gonna say, mile? I'm going to say it's at
1: least a quarter mile. Maybe out.
0: about a half mile. I think, actually, I think we looked it up and it was about a half mile. Because this guy was at the end. It was a long, to the end of the harbor is very long. So would you then think that because that dude was at the end that that bite was out deep?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it, it, it Not necessarily, but you know what? The, the most common spot salmon have in a harbor is the mouth. You know, you think about that. It, they have to come from the lake. And they have to go out to the lake. So, what does every salmon have to do? They have to enter the harbor. Well, they all enter from the beginning, right? So, but the further you make it back in the harbor, it doesn't necessarily mean the fish made it all the way back there too. But at the mouth, they're there, whether they're going to be zinging right by you know or not. Yeah. But they have to pass by the mouth to get in. So, it's that was a, the theory I started with dot thing. So we instead of being all the way further in the back, you want to be further in the back later in the season because they're done moving. The ones that are coming in are in, and now they're looking to spawn. Uh, but I'm going to say through the first two weeks of September, at least, the closest to the mouth you can be, you know. I
0: just – so going back to the culture and of things, I thought it was super cool. You see all these people. Everybody's got a different way of doing it. We walked out there with nothing rolling behind us. We had no carts. We had no nothing. We brought everything, carried it in our hand, put it in a backpack, whatever. Everybody else – not everybody else, but I'd say about half of the people – they all had carts you could tell they've been doing this for years and this is their salmon cart yeah
1: they have those fold up wagons that you'd pull kids in yeah and uh rod holders and beer and oh yeah they were going out there for the day the dude that caught one actually had like his own thing that he made it looked like it looked like a dolly that he tried to make look like a shopping cart do you remember that no but I, so that was my theory my my deer cart I'm actually maybe I'll work on that tomorrow when the baby's napping but I, I'm actually turning that into a thing to walk out on the harbor with yeah and so you got rods reels. you're not carrying everything and you kind of set up camp you know don't totally modify it but like put stuff on there that you could take off oh yeah yeah pretty much i'm just putting a floor that you can bungee cord things too
0: yeah that's 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 a cool idea because
1: yeah like my that milwaukee light that i'm talking about that baby's five pounds or more. yeah it's it's heavy um that's all i have to say if i think of anything else that i forgot we will bring it up on the next episode uh, any last little things you want to say? Any? I, what
0: I was gonna say is go out there and get into it. That's why I was mentioning the culture stuff because these people, they really get into it. They love it. They look forward to it. And it's it's just cool being out there. Like you're part of something weird. I don't know. It's I, just, I know exactly what you're trying to say, but I can't say it either. Yeah, I, weird, not necessarily. But like you're out there and you're like, man, this is cool. Like you, you don't feel like an idiot for being the only dude on a dock. You know what I mean? Like there's a like it, it's just cool. You see, you walk out there, you see blood spot. Blood spot, blood spot, blood spot. From when they bleed, and maybe that was something we should have mentioned. Um,
1: why, why you cut? Oh, you bleed them. them. So, yeah, so you get rid of the blood, so it's not getting absorbed in back into the meat. Um, which is not something that you typically do with
0: other freshwater fish.
1: Oh, a lot of people do it, but it's not as common. You're right; it's not as common in walleye fishing. But you could definitely have the benefits of doing that walleye fishing. Like I was thinking about that after we threw them them in the water in a in a box the other day. I after I gave them a tiny little rinse
0: like they they were the perfect color pink
1: yeah but but they might have been a lot less pink if we if we bled bled them out there
0: those were those were amazing by the way those were really good and i've got plenty for everybody so
1: one last little story to go loop it back around to the dog the first time i ever went salmon fishing was like 10 years ago and we didn't really know what we were doing but uh fishy phil actually called me up and said hey i'm heading to the lakefront you want to come with i'm like i've never done this before yeah i remember you talking about it And uh, didn't really know anything. I grabbed a couple of, like, Daredevil spoons or whatever I had. He had some of the stuff more that we needed. But anyway, so I I was working – I remember the one job I was working at. And we were going out there at night, and he's like, you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of watching my girlfriend's dog. He's just a little puppy, you know. And so he shows up, and I'm looking at the – I'm looking at – remember the window he used to look out of in my first house? Oh, yeah. And so he's looking at us, and he's always yipping because he doesn't like being left alone as a puppy. I mean, he never really did. But as a puppy, so I'm like, you mind if I bring him? So Phil's like, go ahead, bring him with. You know, I felt terrible about leaving this dog at home. So the first time I actually went salmon fishing, I had this little itty bitty golden puppy with me.
0: You know. Oh, one thing I was going to ask about, like your permission for, I uh, didn't know if it was too soon, but I've actually got a picture of Leo. I sent it to you guys, but he was doing the podcast with us the one day. we put Yeah, I got the same out. picture. So I'll throw that up on my Instagram. Okay. So not unless you want to.
1: No, to no, I, I really didn't post anything. Some of the like, I don't mind posting some of the goofy stuff I do. But uh, I really don't like posting pictures that people feel obligated to say sorry for your loss. Yeah, I wasn't going to do anything like,
0: you know, I was just going to put it up there and be like, Leo, you know, did the podcast with us or back in the beginning.
1: The only people I really believe when I say sorry for your loss, the only people I truly believe are the people that knew him. Other than that, I think you're being polite. You know, oh, of course,
0: of course, people are being polite.
1: I, I kind of think like, but I'd rather, I guess, I'd rather leave it private. I'm kind of telling it. I kind of told the story because I didn't have anything I did over the weekend like I keep promising I'm going to do, so I didn't have anything to talk about. And social uh,
0: media condolences are kind of worthless.
1: Yeah, and I just don't need, I just don't need the world to know that we're hurting. No, you know, yeah. I mean, I obviously I said it on the podcast now, but like, uh, I'm also doing a lot better. After I picked up the ashes, there was a lot of closure there, so I'm actually a little bit more able to talk about it now. But like the last few weeks or last few days. The only person I had talked to about is Cal. Yeah. You know, but so, anyway,
0: on the day that this comes out, I'll post that picture
1: and I'm not going to be like, Oh, we miss
0: you. And I'm just gonna be like, Leo, you know, best guest we it. ever had, or no, I I, I was actually going to say something, uh podcast OG.
1: Yeah. So that's it. Um, any comments, questions, uh, email us at contact at week and wild podcast, you know, Instagram, all that stuff. And we'll, I, I always put the links in the description for Instagram, even cool. yours. Um, so, yeah, reach out to us. Remember the T-shirt deal. If you, got a, if you got a dog story for me I want to hear about, I actually give a shit. So you're more than welcome. If, if you send me an email about your dog, I will read it, and I it, probably will sympathize with it. So, if you
0: send me or, you know, if you send the podcast a good uh, harbor story.
1: Yeah, harbor stories. Uh, you know what? A good harbor tip would be good because, like we said, we're not pros at this. I want to be, but we're not. Yeah, this is kind of one of those things that it's just like, oh,
0: this is something cool to do in September. Yeah, I mean, like that's that's what it is to me. But if you've got a cool story about uh, catching a big king or coho in the harbors, you you know put that in there. We'll send you a shirt.
1: All right, and then that's it. Uh, Tune in next week, and thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.